The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again. Uh, welcome to another edition of the TOST Podcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the podcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show available on BMC channels 28 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. And uh, this time around on the podcast, happy to have... Uh, Howie McClellan joining me here in, st- in the Studio B co-pilot's chair. Uh, happy summer, Howie. Yeah, it's been an awesome one. I don't know about anyone else, but I love the heat, and I'll take it any day of the week because you know what? I don't have to shovel it. <laughs> but, you know, you're one of the only ones that, uh, with the humidity levels being what they've been. Uh, I don't think people mind the heat. It, you know, it's, it's never the heat. It's the humidity, and it has been uh, extra humid this summer. Still don't have to shovel it. That is very true. Yeah. You're, you're right about that. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Well, Joe, uh, also joining us here on the uh, Toddcast, Chris Mason, Red Sox beat reporter for CNHI Sports Boston. You can read his work online at eagletribune.com, and you can follow Chris on Twitter at ByChrisMason. Chris, thanks as always for joining old Uncle Howie and I here on the TOST Toddcast. <laughs> hey, it's great, great to be back on here, guys. You know, so... I- so Chris, you've been—it's uh, been kind of like a dream this year. I mean, you, you haven't had much bad to write about at all. The way these guys are playing this year, huh? No, they—I mean, they. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty unbelievably good at this point. You know, you, you keep expecting like other oh, shoe to drop at some point. I mean, last night you even have David Price take the mound against the Yankees and pitches very well. So it's like uh, everything Alex Cora touches turns to gold right now. Well, that's the thing. I mean, after watching these last four games and then. You know, just comparing this to uh, when you were covering the team last year, are you really starting to believe that, that there's something special maybe happening with uh, this 2008 Red Sox club? Yeah, I am. I mean, they um, they just find ways to win. There's They can beat you a lot of different ways, but there's there's no quit in them, and they will just keep battling. And last night's the perfect example. You know, Aroldis Chapman on the mound. You have 8-9 coming up to start that inning, and to come back, score three runs, send it to extras. There's, uh, there's a lot of uh, grit with this team. I think a lot of that has to do with Cora. I, I think he he is so the anti-Farrell. I mean, the guy shows emotion. He cares. He 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 helps out. You know, he's out there hitting uh, ground balls. He's he's getting active. You know, Farrell didn't do that kind of stuff. And you know, and he's so dry when he used to talk. At least Cora's got a little emotion, a little feeling, and a little energy every time you see him. Especially the other night when he got thrown out. Yeah, and the players really appreciated that. Like, everyone that talked after that game was like, yeah, he, he's our emotional leader, like, he's our guy. And obviously that was his first ejection, so I hadn't really seen that side of him yet. But um, it was definitely a – he definitely got his money's worth with it, and they uh, they appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, have you just you – know, obviously last year was your first year covering the team, and have you really just noticed the – or I guess I should ask, what are the biggest differences you've really noticed in the clubhouse uh, between last year's team and this year's team? Because really the only difference as far as actual players go, I mean, J.D. Martinez is a big addition, but otherwise it's mostly the same team, and then really the other big change being the manager. So what? how has Cora really just changed the whole clubhouse atmosphere, at least uh, from what you've seen? 
I think it's kind of a tag team effort between him and JD, but it's definitely more relaxed with Cora. Um, one of the things the guys kept saying in spring training is, like, if they lost the game, they would take that home with them. They would, you know, kind of stew over it, and then that can snowball and start gripping the bat too tightly. Cora's not like that at all, you know, win or lose. He's like, hey, leave it at the ballpark. Tomorrow's a new day. And it's easy to be like that when you're, you know, on pace for 113 wins. But um, he, he's definitely very laid back and has been that way since spring training. Yeah, that's amazing, too, considering it's his first managerial job. He's in the one of the hotbeds of baseball. And, and, and yeah, I, the, the best thing, though, he played here, so he knows what it's all about. He's been through it before as a player, so he can relate better to these players as to what's happening with the fans and the media better than any manager could. And he's got a little uh, – it's interesting. This is one of the things that he said early on, and it's come up a couple times since, but in Puerto Rico they are also obsessed with baseball there. And he was managing their World Baseball Classic team. And he's like, that island lives baseball. I would have people coming up to me in, uh, like, I'd be at the supermarket. People would come up to me and start complaining about, like, I don't know, pinch hitting or, like, anything like that. And he's like, I think Boston's very similar in the sense that, like, the city breathes baseball. And that's something that I'm used to. And he's, he's just, like, he, he's a baseball fan still. He'll watch MLB Network. He'll read stuff. Like, he, say, he always says he knows what's going on across the league. And I, I think that's uh, a valuable quality to have. And I think also he, he's also a big, uh, uh, his idea is, it, you know, don't worry about what social media has to say. Don't, don't be going in there and reading about it. And, you know, just stay here in the clubhouse, do what you got to do, play your game, and we'll be okay. Yeah, and I think, uh, I, I think Martinez has been a huge, huge impact in the clubhouse, too. He's kind of um, like a baseball bookworm, you know, where he, he's almost made it cool to study, you know, even away from the park, dude, do the extra work, try and dig up dirt on these pitchers, you know, look at the numbers, try and figure it out, bring it all back, and, like, we'll see what, see what you have. I would not be shocked if he is a hitting coach 15 years from now just because he's so into that stuff. Well, to your point, Chris, I think during the uh, the broad the Sunday night broadcast last night on ESPN, they were they had the segment there where they were showing uh, JD during batting practice. He had the little iPad up, and after he had taken his practice swings, he went back and was watching himself and kind of doing his own his own tutorial, I guess, uh, or coaching himself as to you know what adjustments he needed to make. Yep, he does. Yeah, he does that all the time. And one of the things that's kind of become a commonplace too is like you're asking a guy about an adjustment he made or, like, how it, it's happened with Devers, Bradley, like, uh, even Betts. Like, oh, you, you made some adjustment. You're hitting better now. What is it? Oh, well, J.D. noticed something, and he showed me this. And, you know, he, he's actually the one that was like, hey, try, try this differently. So he's very attentive to his teammates, too, and I, I think he's made a world of difference in there. I got to say, it, it almost seems like he's, he, he's kind of taken a role – of what Ortiz was a couple of years ago that Ramirez tried to do last year, but he couldn't. Um, but mm-hmm. he's he's more. He seems like he's he gets everyone involved and gets them going. Yeah, that's that's a very good comparison, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's really amazing what he's been able to accomplish so far in you know this short season and, and obviously or well two thirds of the season, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, the, and like you say, he can be, uh, you know, what he's doing on the field and then he, actually what he's doing off the field kind of as an assistant hitting coach uh, yeah. uh, is, is definitely impressive. Uh, let's uh, talk about, uh, the, obviously, the, you know, we, we have you on good timing here. Red Sox have an off day uh, right after they've completed their uh, improbable four-game sweep of the New York Yankees to take a nine-and-a-half game lead in the American League East, the largest lead they've had uh, uh, in five years. you got to go uh, back to the 2013 uh, World Champions uh, 
and uh, what the you know what the Sox did this weekend certainly uh, came a little unexpectedly, especially when we heard before the series Chris Sale wasn't going to pitch uh, in the, in any of the four games, and yet they were able to uh, to win, and they were able to win in a lot of different ways, which I guess is pretty you know emblematic of the way the team has uh, been able to win all season and why they're you know 40, 45 games over five hundred and on pace as you said to win one hundred and thirteen games this year. Yep, and it's one of those things too where with this team, so you saw them fall behind four nothing in the first game with Johnson on the mound, and then they're down four to one in the ninth last night. And it's easy for teams to say, "Oh no, like we never, we never thought we were going to lose. Like we, we, you know, like we're going to fight to the end." This team, I think, has genuinely started believing that that at any given time they can just come back, they can you know score a bundle of runs, and it's something that they've obviously been pretty good at. Well, did it the tone, you know, you could argue, too, the tone for the, the series might have been set in that first game. I mean, they're down 4 nothing early, uh, but then they kind of scrapped their way back, and, and part of that comeback was the play uh, where, you know, the Yankees just kind of tightened up a little bit. It's a comebacker to the mound, and Jonathan Holder, who came out of the, the bullpen for CC Sabathia, it only could last three innings because his pitch count got driven through the roof. And Holder's holding the ball, then he throws it to third base. J, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. breaks for home, and, you know, the play is so far behind. And then, you know, Bradley's got that great slide into home plate. And I think that just yep. ignited the whole team, it ignited the crowd for sure. And then, you know, uh, you know, a couple batters later, uh, you know, Steve Pierce is hitting a three-run homer. And, you know, as I say, that it feels like that eight-run inning in the first game of the series kind of set the tone for the way the rest of the series played out. No, it, and, yeah, it definitely did. I mean, that was a 4-2 game when Bradley makes that play. If he gets tossed out, either at third or at the plate, still 4-2, now you have an out. Maybe, actually, after the game, J.D. Martinez is like, yeah, that Bradley play makes a huge difference because there's way less pressure on Steve Pierce when he comes up if there's nobody out, you know. You're just swinging freely, and then, yeah, I mean, that, that guy <laughs> had well, a game on Thursday. Who is this guy? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of looked up, we saw you with 35, what's this, like his ninth team he's played for. It's like I, including I know, five all five AL East yeah, teams. Yeah, it's like I'm like where the hell did this guy come from? <laughs> you yeah, know. And it, well, it's interesting. They they're, they're all gravy with him at this point. They got him because he's always hit well against lefties. He's been one of those platoon guys, and that's obviously something one of the few things they've kind of struggled with at times this year. But I mean, he was. <laughs> I think two of those home runs on Thursday were against righties, too, so he was just... And the one on Friday night was against Severino, so yeah, right. I mean, of the four homers he hit, it. you're right. I think three of them came against right-handers as Cora just kind of played the hot hand. Yeah, no, Pierce has been uh, a revelation, certainly with uh, Mitch Moreland banged up a little bit. They Basically, Pierce replaced Hanley Ramirez on the roster as the right-handed bat, and uh, he's he's definitely come through, certainly has made his mark on this uh, Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. Definitely, and he's, um, it's interesting, so a couple weeks after he got here, I talked to him just out of curiosity, he was like, what stands out to you about this team? You know, you've been in a lot of different clubhouses, you've been in every ALE's clubhouse, <laughs> like after, after two weeks or so, like what stands out to you? And he was like, it's, it's the guys in the clubhouse, everyone's together, like I, this, this is a special group, it's not a normal group, like the way everyone is just on the same page, does everything together. So that was another kind of eye-opener for me. It was like, okay, like this guy just parachutes in there in the middle of the year, and this is the thing that jumps out to him. Like, there might be something, uh, something in the water there. I was gonna, I was gonna say, and and finally, we finally got a player from Tampa Bay that actually can play in big games. Also a former Yankee. Yeah, Evaldi. <laughs> I mean, he he has pitched lights out. Hey, another one. Who the hell is this guy? Where did he come from? You know, he put him under the spotlight, and he, and he shines. Yeah, he. I talked to him for a while the other day. I'll actually have a story next Sunday in the paper on this. But 
So he's had two Tommy John surgeries. Um, the first was in high school, and the second was with the Yankees. He was he was having a great year. He was like 11-3 and three and then needed another Tommy John. So then that's, you know, another year and a half you're out. Then he, like, he actually signed a two-year deal in Tampa knowing Tampa knew the first year he wasn't going to pitch. He was just going to rehab all year. And then this year they he pitched well there, like has the triple-digit heat back, and uh, they flipped him to the Red Sox for Beaks. So it's an interesting path for him. And he's still only like 28 yeah, it's you're right. I mean, the fact you know he's he's had the two Tommy Johns and you know so far great start for the Red Sox. Uh, two starts, fifteen innings of shutout baseball. I mean, this is uh, you know, and to do it against the Yankees against the too. Yankees, exactly. Yeah. Of all games, you know, talk about being put in the pressure cooker and coming out looking great. Oh, and especially after Porcello does what he does on Friday night, and you know that team like is coming out ready to hit, like need to make an impact and then to throw eight shutouts. Well, and to talk about Porcello's performance too. I mean, uh, wow. I, what, what can you say? I mean, you got to go, you know, everyone was making the comparisons right after the game to, uh, you know, Pedro in 99 at Yankee Stadium. Uh, again, Porcello doing what Pedro did back then. You held the team a complete game one hitter, the only hit a home run. Uh, so again, kind of same scenario here, and and Porcello just—I mean, I'm watching that game and watching his ball move. That two-seamer of his is just like darting inside and outside. The way he was—I mean, when he is really on, it's it's incredible how well he can pitch. He he can be as unhittable as as he looked on uh, Friday night. But then there's just you know he's had these other seasons where he's gone say, like, it's like eight it's, and it's like 15. every other season, yeah. every other yeah. season he's good, bad, good, bad. I mean, he's pitching like he did the year he won the Cy Young a couple of years ago, if not better. Uh, the one constant with him, though, is he always seems to pitch well against the Yankees. He's a gamer and gets up for those. I think his ERA is like a 2-6 against the Yankees. So he he just has that switch that he can flip that uh, we know some people can't. You know, so yeah. one number I loved about that whole game, 2-15. The length of the game, 2 hours and 15 minutes. When's the last time that's happened for the Red Sox-Yankees ever? It's four, four and a half hours going away every time. That had me all messed up, actually, because so our deadline is 11 o'clock. Yeah, and it's 9.30 and the game's over. <laughs> well, exactly. Usually I'll start writing my game story or, like, the five takes that I have that are going in the paper right around 9 o'clock. And, like, I look up and it's already the eighth inning. I was like, oh, no. But then I was like, oh, wait. Yeah. I have plenty of time until deadline. Still. Like, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm looking. You know, I I, j- I jotted down the times of games from the series. I mean, Thursday the opener of the 15-7 game was was 3:25, which is about an average Red Sox game. It might even be slightly below. Then Friday 2:15, Saturday 2:33. So you add those two up, 4:38 or 4:48. Sunday, last night's game, was like 4:30, 4:39. So last night's game was nine minutes shorter than the Friday Saturday games combined. I mean, that's, you know, and, and yet that game also featured some really good pitching on both sides. I mean, you know, Tanaka for the Yankees and then Price, certainly uh, the best he's looked. I mean, if you compare his numbers to what he did on uh, his first two appearances against the Yankees this year, where he was getting shelled an ERA of over 24 in, in four to third innings and, uh, you know, goes six innings and, and gives up two runs. And actually those were runs that scored while he wasn't even on the field. So he left having not given up any runs. And yeah, I mean, he, and, and again, kind of like Porcello and Evaldi in the in the two days leading up to it. I mean, Price looked like he first of all he looked he didn't look like he feared the Yankees anymore. I mean, he was his ball had movement too, and uh, the Yankees just seemed to be maybe a little over aggressive, swinging at, at bad pitches, and you know. But but for the most part, Price was also pounding the strike zone. Yeah, but does it seem like but, his velocity is down to you, Chris? Prices? It, de- it definitely is. Yeah, it, it's not 91, 92, it, Not you know, and really consistently at that 
number, which, you know, for what he is, it, it doesn't seem like it's good. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, I think he's starting to learn to pitch a little differently because of it. it I think he's, yeah, about two miles an hour slower than he was in 2016. And, I mean, those, those are pretty big, as you can see with someone like Drew Pomerantz, where his velocity is down when he's at 89. It's infinitely more hittable than when he's throwing 92, 93. Yeah, you say, um, it, it's almost like you get, you get I know this is before your time, Todd, before your time. There's, there's a guy called Frank Tanana. Uh, he used to he be, wasn't uh, before my time. Uh, I remember Frank today. He used to, oh, pit, he used to, oh, I know what you're talking about. He used about to though. throw as fast as, as Nolan Ryan at one point, and then all of a sudden oh. he lost the steam off his fastball. That was slightly before but, my time. When he came to the Red Sox yeah. and he was throwing junk, that was yeah, my but time. Yeah, but he had to learn how to pitch. Yeah. You know, he had to learn how to make the best out of what he had, and I think maybe that's what Price is up against right now. Maybe he's got to learn that he can't throw the fastball by him all the time, and he's got to learn how to beat him mentally, not physically. I love when pitchers do that. Like, uh... Bartolo Colon was at Fenway earlier this year, and watching that guy pitch, oh my God, it's awesome! It's like obviously he's nothing like he was in like 2000, but the fact that he's like adapted and is still pitching pretty well. At his yeah, and in his mid 40s, and looking the way he does, and the fact he can still pitch in the major leagues is nothing short of of incredible. But Howie, I think you just kind of nailed it. That the the biggest obstacle perhaps Price has in trying to make this adjustment, most guys can, or a lot of pitchers can make the adjustment or are able to make the adjustment because they got it up here. Well, we all know, uh, you know, when it comes to the upstairs department for for Mr. Price, it's uh, you know sometimes that's that's a fragile area, and you know it doesn't. I don't know. I mean, that's that's where maybe the adjustment comes in. But he ha- he certainly had it going last night, and and that's certainly a plus. Uh, is even you know as you start to look ahead to you know say October and whether you know Price can be capable of you know starting and maybe winning a playoff game, which I know he's never done, but you know it'd be nice to kind of live up to that big contract he's got. Yeah, that's why I thought the first inning was huge for him last night. So he gets the first out, then John Carlos Stanton hits a single, 121 miles an hour. Like it was, it tied the hardest hit ball, like hit by anybody across baseball all year. Like just absolutely smoked it. Then with the next pitch, he hit Didi with a curveball, and you're like, oh, here we go again. You know, it's all. That's exactly what I was thinking. I don't know about you. Now. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was watching. Yeah, here it. we go. <laughs> yep, that's, that's exactly. Get the bullpen going. Yeah. Oh uh, no. It's, uh... Then he gets a friendly strike three call. Gets sent Torres down. Gives up another single. You got the bases loaded now, and you're like, ah, oh, here we go. But then you know he buckled down. Got that tapper right back to the mound. Doesn't rush the throw to first or anything like that. Doesn't get the yips. Gets out of the inning. And, yeah, it's the first time this year he hasn't given up three runs in the first inning. And it definitely looked like it could go down the same path. Well, and think about it, too. Five weeks earlier, uh, you know, he's getting shelled at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, again, it's just amazing to watch. You know, think about it. Five weeks ago, he's getting shelled at Yankee Stadium. And the Yankees win 11-1, to move into a tie for first place with the Red Sox and lead by percentage points. And you look at what these two teams have done since, uh, you know, in the last five weeks. Uh, the Yankees have a losing record. They're, what, 14 and uh, and uh, 15, uh, 14 and 15 since that game. And uh, the Red Sox are 23 and 5. I mean, that just in a five-week period, you know, gaining nine and a half games uh, in the standings. Oh, and, the, and the thing, too, is you get, they're, they're starting to remind me of the Patriots. I mean... It, Guys go down, they plug the next guy in, okay, next man up, who's, who's going to play, you know. Uh, Vasquez goes down, they bring in Swihat. 
Spy Hot's gone down. You know, they, they bring in someone else. It, it just, it, whatever happens, they seem to be able to. Mookie, play him at second base, you know? <laughs> Hasn't played there in years, but oh, we'll have him play at second base, you know? Chris, let me ask your take on the Mookie uh, uh, moving him to second base on Friday night. That only happened after Alex Cora received his first major league ejection as a manager, and uh, that was Ron Renicki's move to put him in at second base. Do you think if Cora hadn't been ejected from that game, we would have seen Betts uh, uh, move to second uh, at that instance? Oh, I, I think Cora still had some sort of influence on that. You know, I mean, he's ejected, but he's down in his office. I'm sure they have a clubby running back and forth, you know, like this is what I want to do. Um, if Cora didn't want that to happen, it wouldn't have happened. But I, I don't really think – it's funny. A lot of people are like, well, why would you let him play there? Why? It's like, eh, I don't know. He's an athlete. He can play it well enough. But that's he what came he came up, up like Yeah, it. he came up as a second I baseman. I don't see a ton of harm in it. You know, but it, they, and they say he takes ground balls during practice. At second base uh, in the infield, made a couple too. Of nice plays during yeah. the game at second base too. It didn't look uncomfortable there. No. Yeah, uh, Cora actually said he'd be like he could play third in a pinch too, which is pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, I I, I really don't have a problem with it. It was funny talking to Mookie afterwards. Someone was like, "Is it was it Renicki's idea?" He's like, "Oh, it was my idea." He's like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, I I said like, hey Ron, can I play second base?" He's like, "I don't know." Sure. <laughs> so then I he's like, so then I jogged out there. I was like, and I still didn't really believe. Like, can I play second base? Can I play second base? But they never called me back in. So I'm sure it's one of those things where Ron had someone run down, ask Cora, like, "Hey, are you cool with this?" Like, <laughs> and he's probably like, "Yeah, sure." And then you know he plays there for whatever it was, three, four innings, makes a couple of nice plays. Yeah, God forbid he ever uh, ripped up his knee turning a double play or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. Of course, then one of the reasons he's he has to do that is because uh, Ian Kinsler, who the Red Sox just picked up, uh, to pretty much fill in for Dustin Pedroia, who is not uh, in all likelihood coming back this season. And I, I still question whether he'll come back at all, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but Kinsler, you know, only gets a couple of games in that, you know, as they had picked him up just before the trade deadline. And then he goes, you know, on the DL with a hamstring, which uh, they don't want to see aggravated. And I guess with a nine and a half game lead, you might as well uh, play it a little conservative, get him back at full strength. Uh, Kinsler's a big pickup, though. I mean, you talk about, you know, we mentioned Pierce, we mentioned Evaldi, and the other other big pickup, which I don't think, you know, Howie, I don't know about you, I wasn't thinking that they were going to go on and pick up another second baseman, but. Uh, uh, you know, Kinsler might be the, the perfect uh, kind of fit for, you know, what Cora and this Red Sox team want to do. I'll tell you, after seeing him play, make a couple of plays like he did, like that play where he made the, the got the ground ball on the other side of second base and threw the guy out by feet, you know, a couple of feet. It was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Will- oh, he's so smooth. And that, there's that one inning, yeah, where he had two really nice plays at second base. That's another probably pretty good indicator of where the Red Sox clubhouse is at right now. I'm not sure if you saw this. Tom Karen had it. That uh, after Kinsler made that second play, um, somebody from, from the dugout yelled, Finally, we've got somebody that can actually play second base. And it was Eduardo Nunez. <laughs> <laughs> Who's been playing a lot of second base this <laughs> season. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but, you, but you know what? That just goes to show that they can have fun with each other and they can, they can make fun of each other. They can make fun of themselves, and, and it doesn't become an issue. It, it, it's, it's a joke, and it laughs, and everyone enjoys it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I like Nunez anyway. He's kind of like the embedded Yankee this year, the former Yankee uh, coming back. And I just have a feeling at some point, uh, you know, before we get to the end of the season, he's going to have made a really big play to help uh, beat the Yankees. Maybe it'll maybe it'll be in the ALDS if we want to look that far ahead. But uh, for the moment, let's kind of bring this uh, back. I actually want to talk a, a little bit about some of the injuries here, Chris, and, and the health yep. situation with the team. So, uh, you know, let's talk about some of these guys. Uh, I don't know where you want to start, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, Kinsler, Sale, I mean, Devers. I mean, the Red Sox are dealing with all these injuries, is how he kind of pointed out that you know, people are. Swire, yeah. What, what, you got any uh, updates on any of these guys? We know the news we had heard on Sale, I guess, is he was originally supposed to come back for the Toronto series. Now they're they're pushing him off for Baltimore. At this point, with a nine and a half game lead, I don't know why you wouldn't wait longer uh, unless, you know, again, it, it's Sale, so he's probably itching to get out there. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is that he does want to pitch. You know, and when the, the day he went on the DL, it looked like, you know, he... He, he was aggravated. Well, he was, yeah, he was really frustrated. <laughs> well, especially because he knew he was going to miss the Yankees' yeah. start. I think he was yeah. really looking forward to that series. And then Cora said when they fell behind 4 nothing, Sale was, like, pacing the dugout, like, I can't believe this. You know, like, he was supposed to start, then obviously they come back and all's well that ends well. But, um, yeah, so they pushed him back. Cora said most likely the Baltimore series. He hadn't thrown a bullpen yet this week. So I think they're just taking things slowly with him. And he also said he didn't want him to – so if he started in Toronto, then he would have been in line for Philly. And Cora said he doesn't want sale hitting. Yeah. They pushed him back. Um, yeah, it, I would line up Porcello for one of those Philly games <laughs> based on what he did in uh, down in D.C. Yeah. Yeah, no, get But you know what? I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, as we've all seen through his career, Sale has a habit of fading out at the end of the season. I mean, because he plays a thousand percent, he's like a bulldog. You can't stop him. But you know, you know what? Giving him a little rest right now might be just the medicine they need come October. No, I agree. I mean, this DL certainly can't hurt them now. You know, like you're up nine and a half. Brian Johnson did well enough. He didn't lose that game. And now, I mean, it's it's kind of gravy at this point. So. Well- and continuing on with the speaking of the starting rotation and maybe getting guys back, I mean, some encouraging news about Eduardo Rodriguez. I guess he pitched off a mound this weekend. Yeah, he threw a bullpen yesterday, threw 30 pitches. Um, Cora said it was impressive. He was like, it was impressive, honestly. Um, I mean, to take that part with a grain of salt, but the fact that he's back on the mound throwing pitches in, he said he feels good afterwards. He's like, yeah, no, I feel good. My ankle feels fine. That's a big thing with him is, like, the self-confidence that he is okay and he's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad because I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, you know, he's favoring the ankle, now he messes the knee back up and – you know, things like that. But, I mean, up until this point, what was he, 11-3? and three or? Exactly, yeah. yeah he was pitching yeah, he was three and a half ERA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was pitching like the guy we thought we were getting from Baltimore. Yeah, they were 16-3 uh, and three in games that he started before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, now, now with him it's just the process of building the arm back up. You know, you go from 30 pitches to 45 to 60, you know, like that. So I, I look for him if nothing happens, maybe around September 1st. Okay, what, uh, what about Stephen Wright? He, see, he's in the same boat as Pedroia, where they had the same procedure, and nobody else has had, no other baseball players, I should say, have had the um, procedure done that they had, like the cartilage restoration surgery. So they don't really know. Like, they're kind of in uncharted territory together. Um, but he, yeah, he, he hasn't been throwing or anything. I think the knee is still barking. So uh, I wouldn't count on him. He's more of an unknown. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at this point too. I mean, with the guys they got, and then picking up Avaldi, you know, I, I'd be more concerned about not getting Rodriguez back uh, than I would be right at this point. Because I mean, Wright's yeah, been definitely. missing for about a year right now at this point. You know. True. But, I mean, uh, Wright he only made four starts. He hasn't been like a vital part of the rotation this year. Yeah. But just, but just a nice depth piece to have. And, yeah. But I mean, I think they they address that when they pick up Avaldi. Oh yeah, yeah no, pick it up another. You know, there's that piece there that they weren't sure about getting, and as long as everyone else stays healthy, um, it's going to be a pitching staff to be uh, reckoned with. Well, at least when it comes to the rotation, right? I mean, Chris. Oh, I was going to 
said Wright could be an interesting bullpen piece if he comes back on playoff time. Just if you uh, if you look at like the impact that knuckleballers can have on a bullpen, where you put him in between two guys throwing 98, it like statistically has been pretty good. I mean, I know a knuckleball is hard to trust in a playoff game. Well, and, and a, a knuckleball reliever, you certainly haven't seen too many of those, if any. I mean, you know, obviously all the, the knuckleballers that we remember uh, from all of our combined lifetimes are all starters, and including Wright himself. I, I just don't know. You're right. It would be an interesting change of pace, but it would also be quite a change of pace for for the catcher too. Whether it's Leon Vasquez or Swihart, I I know they can catch right, but it's just uh, you know all of a sudden in a big playoff game, yeah, it's it's interesting how much better these catchers seem to be at catching right than everyone else was at catching Wakefield. Well, I think that's part, I think part of that's because the the speed that he throws his knuckleball at. I mean, he throws it at. You know, a lot faster than uh, Wakefield Wake- threw his at. Yeah, well, he also doesn't throw quite as much as Wakefield, does he? Doesn't he have, like, a curve that he throws a lot, too, where I, I think he throws at a greater percentage than, than Wakefield ever did with his secondary stuff? Yeah, to some extent. Um, he's actually interesting. Earlier this year, I talked to him about the knuckleball, and he's like, I have three different knuckleballs. He goes, what? Like, yeah, they're three different ones. Like, it has three different speeds that he tries to throw them at, and they have different movement on them and stuff. It was interesting, but... Um. Yeah, in the big picture, I just would not count on him coming back. Yeah, how, what? How do you feel about the uh, uh, bullpen? Well, you know, do you, I mean, there was a lot of talk. You know, they didn't pick up anyone at the trade deadline. That was a thing that they should have done. And um, I don't. I'm not. I don't feel that concerned about it. But what are your thoughts on it? I, I think they needed another arm. I think that uh, yeah, that's that's the one thing that you might look back on this season for Dave. Like he's had a great year. But just not getting a reliever at the bull or a reliever at the deadline. Like you look at the other bullpens around the American League, and then you look at the Red Sox, and it's like, oh, they really could use one more arm. I, I think, yeah, I think maybe just getting an established uh, setup guy who's done, who, who knows his role and performs well in it would have. I, I, I kind of agree with you, Chris. I think that would have been a plus because right now Dombrowski, you know, and the Red Sox seem to be kind of going into the looking at this bullpen for the rest of the season with a little bit of blind faith that uh, some of these guys are going to turn things around. I mean, Joe Kelly started, you know, white hot, and then the last couple of months he's been very erratic. Uh, yep. You know, Barnes has been okay. Uh, you know, they're hoping maybe Thornburg, you know, who's who's been pretty good since he's come off the DL. But again, given the severity of that type of injury, I don't know how long they think that he can last. So, yeah, there's kind of a lot of ifs and nuts. And then, of course, you've also got uh, Kimbrell himself lately, who, you know, the only thing about Kimbrell that, that's really kind of annoying me a little bit here is that unless he pitches, you have to, you have to like, give him his appearances on a silver platter. Like, it has to be the ninth inning only, and there's nobody on base. It's a nice, clean inning, and it's a save situation. Because it seems like any time it's anything that doesn't fit into that variable, he, you know, like, like even Saturday was a 4 nothing game, so that's not a save situation. So he ends up kind of creating a save situation for himself by, you know, struggling, walking a couple of guys, and, and giving up a run. Yeah, the save non-save thing with him is really weird, but it's definitely a real thing. Like, if you looking at the splits over the course of his career, it's it's bizarre. But yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. Just like if you go back and look through his career, all through the minor leagues, he was brought up as like, all right, you got the ninth, Craig. The ninth is yours. Like, and then becomes a closer to a very young age, and has always been pretty much an exclusively ninth inning guy. And it's obviously like you're still seeing the effects of it now. So that's that's another reason why I think you you don't want to make Kimbrel give you more than three outs. Like you're very comfortable with him as the three out guy. There was a 
There's actually The Athletic just did a player poll, like an anonymous player poll, and it was one of the questions was, if you could have anyone for the ninth inning Game 7 World Series, who do you take? Kimbrell got like 40, 45% of the vote. So they're definitely confident in him like that, but he's just not built like an Andrew Miller that's, you know, this guy that's going to come in and give you two, three, like weird innings of relief. And, yeah, that, that's another reason why I would have liked to have seen him get an established guy to take some of that burden off of him. Yeah, I mean, Kim- Kimbrell, I know, to me, he, it never seems like that's a clean save situation. One, two, three. He always makes you worry. He always, somebody gets on, somebody gets a second, uh, you know, he, he, he hits somebody. It, it's never a, oh, good, he's coming in, it's going to be all set. It's always like, almost like a white-knuckle drive when he comes in. It's six five as I'm concerned. Yeah, but you know what, see, I think most of those outings... But he gets them out. He does. Yeah, no, but but I think the outings you're describing, Howie, I think most of the time those happen when he's asked to either get more than three outs or he's coming in with runners on base or just, again, and if it's not the ninth inning, it's not a three-run lead. And then otherwise, like I say, that's why I think when you get those kind of, you know, hang on, you know, uh, on the edge of your seats as a fan... Yeah, maybe that's just from being a Red Sox fan all these years. <laughs> Got nothing to do with him. So, but no, I'm again going back to your point, Chris. It kind of speaks to it. The, you're right. I mean, I would have liked a nice, you know, a, a solid veteran setup guy who you could count on for the eighth inning. Because I, you know, my concern would be when the playoffs come that you know there are going to be some games where they might ask Kimbrel to come in in the eighth inning and get four or possibly five outs. Certainly not the, the Andrew Miller kind of uh, performance, but but again, having to get more than three outs because maybe the eighth inning is when the, t- you know, the opponent is rallying and, and those are the most important outs to get in the game, and so you want them in there at that moment. And I'm just concerned because they don't, you know, you know, it, I guess if Thornburg keeps pitching the way he does, that's a plus. If if Barnes can keep pitching the way he does, I, I know a lot of folks don't think that highly of him. But, uh, you know, and then, of course, I, mean, I think Kelly's going to come back. I think he's just having well, a little slump. And what about Ryan Brazier, too? What, uh, what are your thoughts on, on some of these other guys and what you've seen of them uh, this season, Chris? The thing is, like, every single one of these guys just has, like, a pretty big question mark next to them, you know? Like, Brazier, like, okay, he's been great, but he has such a small sample size. Can he maintain this when pitchers act, or like when hitters have film on him and like start noticing things? Joe Kelly, can he be that guy that he was at the beginning of the year, or is he, you know, the June July guy? Matt Barnes, he's been actually terrific this year. Like, he's been very, very good. Walks are still an issue. He's still over four walks per nine innings. So, can he eliminate those and limit those? And he also has one playoff appearance. Um, then you get to. Uh, Kimbrell, you have the ninth inning thing. And I actually just pulled this up. So in save situations this year, he's got a 1.98 ERA. Non-saves, that's 3.72. Yeah, practically doubled. His, ER, or his whip is a 0.7. And non-saves, it's a 1.8. Ugh, yeah, that's not good. But it's, it's just, 1.3 is considered yeah. kind of the cutoff for, you know, middle-of-the-road whip. Yeah, yeah but, but when you come to the playoffs and they shorten up the shorten up the start and rotation, I mean, you, I mean, you could see Johnson, you could see Pomerantz, you see those guys in the bullpen. Um, you know, we, we, could they be the the gap guys that are going to get it? And Evaldi possibly too. They've talked about no. that. Yeah. The way he's pitching, I keep him in the start and rotation. <laughs> but well, well, who's he going to take place of in the in the playoff rotation? Then you want to put him in for who? Price. Well, you, you well you got to figure you have to have a fourth pitcher. So you're gonna have you can have Price, Sale, and uh, Porcello, okay. and Evaldi. There's my four starters in the playoffs. Okay. If I'm starting tomorrow, once you get to the LCS, you know the the first round, you only need three. So yeah. that's I think where Evaldi could come in in the pen. But yeah, well, yeah what do you what do you think about what what Howie was saying, Chris? You know the some of these starters possibly uh, moving into bullpen roles. Well, so yeah, I think 
it's pretty much written in stone for them that they're, you're going to have, um, say, if they're healthy, you'll go sale for solo and price will be, you know, three guys. And then it's interesting because if all the out of the bullpen, like you have a guy that throws triple digits is really like an intriguing possibility. Or you could really just like piggyback him on Erod for a start where like Erod, like go out there, you don't even have to worry about, you know, Mm-hmm. you're trying to get into the sixth inning like just do your thing pitch the way you want to for four innings then we're going to have Vivaldi come in for four innings um, so that's interesting I, I do I don't know about Pomerantz in the bullpen for me he's just a pitcher that um, confidence is such a big thing for you know like last year he was very confident down the stretch and he was you know he, he was a legitimate number two pitcher this year, it seems like his confidence is shot. You know, he's getting hit all over the place. So I don't know what moving him to the bullpen would do to that. It, I mean, it's definitely an interesting possibility, but, um, yeah, I'm not sure about it, it. Yeah, it is an interesting possibility. I mean, you're right. I mean, maybe they just leave him off the playoff yeah, roster if he altogether. Come, yeah, if he comes back at all. Right. Uh, so then that brings up the final question here, I suppose. Uh, you can still make trades after July 31st. As long as you make them by September 1st, they are eligible for the postseason. Do you see Dombrowski trying to make a deal here in August for a reliever? And, like, what relievers out there do you think the Red Sox would have a realistic chance of getting, you know, given the fact they'd have to all, you know, they have to clear waivers first? Well, yeah, see, the waiver thing is interesting. And especially, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the Nationals do over the next month. Because the Red Sox were interested in Herrera. Like, they, they were talking the day before the deadline about him, and then that deal fell through because the Nationals decided they weren't going to sell. They're going to go for it. Over the next couple of weeks, you'll see whether or not that's, you know, a, a fruitless endeavor or not. Um, but someone like that, see, I don't know if he clears waivers. Yeah, I don't know. It depends on his salary, probably. And I don't know. remember if Herrera really makes that much of a salary. So my guess is if it's a low salary, and again, it would be prorated for like a month and a half, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think he clears waivers. Yeah, well, my feeling is that anyone that could help the Red Sox down the stretch, the Yankees are going to put a claim on and to stop it. It's, it's just not, they're not going to get past there because we're the last team that has a chance to get anybody. See, the one thing about that, though, is the Yankees are trying to stay under the luxury tax, and they are under the luxury tax right now. So I don't think they would blow that completely to snag someone if it would put them over that number. Um, Speaking of that luxury tax, Chris, are the Red Sox officially over the 237 threshold? Because if they are, I don't know why they wouldn't just try to make a trade or a deal for a high-priced, high-contract reliever. And, you know, who cares at this point because you've already lost the 10 spots in the draft next year. Well, and this is the interesting thing, too. Um, At the deadline, Dombrowski was asked, like, Someone asked him straight up, like, are you, can you confirm you're over? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you can do the math, you know that we're over it. Like, okay, well, if you knew that you were going to go over it, why weren't you a little more proactive in the offseason in terms of signing a reliever or something like that? You know, if it's one of those things where you're like, hey, we're going to go over the threshold anyways, so might as well do it now, get somebody on the free agent market. Or what he said about, well, to that point, what he said about Zach Britton, who ended up going to the Yankees in a deal. I mean, you know, Dombrowski said, well, Evaldi's a better fit uh, for us than Britain, but it sounds like if the Red Sox didn't care about going over that threshold, they could have maybe tried to make deals for both. Now, I know the one thing that the, the Red Sox lack trying to make these deals is they don't have a great farm system, and, and their prospects aren't that desirable to uh, to other teams. Yeah, it's interesting. Dave said that he, he said we had, the, we had the prospects to make a deal for Britain, but we didn't think it was a good one or something like that. Which, I mean, that, he's the guy that 
you look at and you're like, wow, he would make this bullpen appreciably better. Like, if you could have given Zach Burton the eighth, Craig Kimbrell the ninth, you feel pretty good about that, right? Was he a rental, though? Was he, yeah. was he down at the end of the year? I think he is. No. Yep. So he's not a guy that's going to cost you an arm and a leg either. Like, right, and then the Yankees end up getting him. It's not like they need another eighth inning guy, but now they have. I mean, it just makes their formidable bullpen just all the more impressive right now. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it's you know part of that too. I mean, I don't know if, if the other thing too is they're worried about being over it next year, so maybe they didn't want to go out and sign that guy, you know, for the big money for a couple of years. Maybe they'll suck it up this year, but next year they want to be under, so they don't want to sign a guy that's got a two or three years left on a contract. Or see, I thought the feeling was they were going to try to stay under this year, yeah. but because they're so close to it right now, you know, you might as well. If you're going to be this close and, you, you know, you're playing this well, you've got the best record in baseball. And, you know, when you think about it, too, looking ahead, uh, you can agree with this, Chris. The, the uh, you know, Kimbrell's a free agent. Uh, there are a couple other guys, I think, are, are going into free agency, some key parts. Yep. And so what you're kind of all in for this year, which kind of begs the argument again. If you know you're over, just a little bit over, might as well go a lot over. Don't, you know, uh, you know, draft position next year be damned. And, you know, you go for it now. You kind of go all in for this year, especially where the team is situated right now. I look at it as like a pretty legitimate two-year window before you have a lot of questions opening up. Like they could bring Kimbrel back next year if they wanted to. It's going to be expensive, but then like after next year, you have Sale up, you have Bogarts up. Like there are a lot more guys that you have question marks with next year that are going to need big raises. Isn't there another starting pitcher that's up at the end of this season? Uh, who am I thinking of? Is it Porcello? Because Sale has one more, or is it Sale? Uh, Pomerantz. It's all, Pomerantz is the only starter who's up at the end of this year. Well, hold on, oh, okay. doesn't doesn't Price have an opt out coming? Price he, could opt out. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. like that's going to happen. But you know, who's going to turn down all that money to try to get more? So wait a minute, Sale has one more year after this. I thought this was the uh, the next year because I thought they had him for two. No, they have him for three. Sale, yeah, Sale has. He's under contract. For oh, him. okay. All right. I yeah, I don't have it in front of me. So yeah, that's probably true. Okay. So yeah, maybe they like you say maybe they can bring Kimbrel Pack. Although I I don't know. You know, how much money they want to spend on a closer uh, going forward. I'm not sure, you know, it's not my money, but not like I, but I don't, you know, how much do you want to devote to having a, a closer? Although I guess the argument can be made games have now become bullpen games and, you know, you know, you, maybe it's worth spending big bucks uh, to shore up the end of the game. Well, and that's why it's interesting to not do anything at the deadline this year either, where like you could have dealt with for a closer with more control, you know, like you could have gone for a guy that has, I don't know, maybe two or three years left. Would it cost you more, like um, Brad Hand to the Indians, you know? But then if you want to let Kimbrell walk next year, you have the guy already. Yeah, and weren't there rumors? I thought there were rumors kind of leaning that the Red Sox were thinking about doing that, uh, but they just obviously couldn't find the guy they wanted. And uh, you said Herrera was a rental, right, if they go after him? Yeah, and I pulled his contract up. So he's on a one-year $7.9 million deal, and then he's a free agent. So with that prorated, that's, I don't know, like a million and a half or so. That's chump change. You know, the amount of money they throw around today. Yeah, but it's just something that would probably be easy to block if somebody wanted to. Mm. Yeah, and like I said, I'm sure, like I said, I'll go back to if if something's going to help us win and stop the Yankees from winning, they'll do something to try to block it or get someone else to block it. Well, they have to at this point since obviously now the Yankees. Are, well, let's ask, let's get bring this back to the Yankees. I mean, Howie kind of alluded before we just before, just before we came on the air that he doesn't think it's over, and I guess I there's still one percent of me that doesn't think it's over either. But this doesn't quite. I know it's the 40 year anniversary of the great collapse of '78, but Thank it you. just doesn't. You know, well, 
you know, yeah. it, was, it was my indoctrination into uh, becoming a Red Sox fan. But uh, yeah, I, I just don't. I don't know. This team feels different. They're they're more. I mean, this team has better pitching than that team had 40 years ago, and their offense is probably just as good. They're putting up you know numbers that are uh, comparable. Even though I know we we look back on that team offensively and just go, wow, what a juggernaut they were. But this team's kind of doing the uh, yeah. But this doing te- this things, team but. has not hit any type of slide or any any. Uh, controversy or, or, or any anything that it question would it change their mentality? They've rolled along yeah. all all season up to this point. You know, if they do, if and when they do hit that, which I'm I, I can't believe that sometime between now and the end of the year they're not going to hit some type of little slide, a little uh, little problems. How they come out of it and how bad they. I mean, this what they did this weekend was phenomenal. I mean, if you get to think if that was probably the first time that. If there was going to be a slide, this could have been it, and the Yankees could have been right on our doorstep. Instead, we, we put them way in the back seat. But, you know, I still think that time's going to come, and how they react to that is going to be, you know, the, the proof in the pudding. Well, it, it, sorry, I'll, I'll let you chime in here, Chris, but I just want to mention, too, from a historical perspective, since we're the old farts here representing that generation, uh, you know, 78, this day 40 years ago, the Red Sox lead was eight and a half games. Not They have a bigger lead now than they did 40 years ago at this time. The other thing is, if you remember the Red Sox, it was a collapse, but in a way they were they were playing 500, and the Yankees just went on this incredible tear. I guess the question is, see, I don't know, even when you know Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez come back, if this team has the starting pitching capable of putting together a tear where they might go in for like six weeks and play 750 ball, which I think it would probably take for them to get back into the divisional race. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, I, I think this thing is over just because I have no faith in the Yankees starting pitching to go on a run like that. I mean, you look at it, and they have, uh, you know, Saturday, they, they have to call up Chance Adams to spot start at Fenway because, well, Hap has, what, hand, foot, and hand, mouth. foot, and mouth no, disease. Uh, yeah, it's a child disease. That, that one is, that's bizarre, but yeah. not that. I mean, you have Sonny Gray in their bullpen right now, and he is just a mess. Yeah, you have Sabathia, who, I mean, he can't go deep into ball games. He hasn't been. Like, Severino has been kind of a mess since the All-Star break. And you could argue that, you know, I know there. I heard some people today on the radio saying Severino, you know, had another bad start Friday uh, in the matchup with Porcello. I'd argue that was probably one of Severino's better starts in the last, like, month. Uh, I mean, because he didn't get shelled. I mean, he kept his team in the game. Uh, certainly, I mean the Red Sox weren't scoring a lot of runs against him, but uh, Porcello was just masterful. But yeah, I mean again to your your point, Severino is you know he's their ace and he's struggled and right. So you know the fact that we're talking about what was it like four runs over five and something as being like oh it wasn't that bad for him is just uh, like a commentary on the state of their rotation right now. Yeah, it's funny too because Sonny Gray he's starting to remind me of of the you know the guy that plays in the quiet market you know does good. You know, and then he gets in the pressure situation, and he just can't handle it. Yeah. Um, yeah, didn't I read that in the history of Yankees starting pitchers, he has, like, the worst home ERA, or, or like, in the last hundred years, which is pretty much the franchise. I mean, it's, <laughs> Oh, and he's know. certainly not endearing himself to that fan base when he's getting booed on the, off the mound, and he's just, like, smiling. He's smirking, at yeah. He was smirking at him. Jeez, and, and we, we thought uh, David Price had issues. <laughs> 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 Certainly not to, not to that level. Yeah, I mean that. I guess that that's my uh, 
you know, concern. I mean, again, what we saw the Yankees, I mean, you know, the other thing too, I think even J.D. Martinez, I, I was reading somewhere today, Martinez made a, a remark about Araldus Chapman, their closers, as vaunted as that Yankees bullpen is right now, uh, the Red Sox don't seem to fear Chapman, certainly not in the way that, you know, the, the nope. previous generation feared Mariano Rivera, and the Red Sox even would, it got to Rivera a few times uh, there, certainly, uh, especially in 04. Uh, you know, and then, you know, they got to, uh, you know, last night, I mean, Martinez first pitch swinging, you know, Chapman can't find the strike zone, and yet Martinez, you'd think, you know, if you're a coach or somebody or you're watching it, you're wondering, what is he doing swinging at the first pitch? Because, you know, Chapman can't find the play right now. You should at least take one pitch. And instead, he went up first pitch swinging, and it turned out it lucked out kind of in the way because Chapman found the plate, and uh, Martinez got the big single uh, to kind of keep, uh, you know, keep that rally alive for him. But, yeah, I mean, that's just who Martinez is. You know, he's always first pitch swinging. It's funny, earlier this year, Bogarts was talking about how his, his routine is all screwed up because, like, he used to be one of those guys that's late to the on-deck circle. And JD swings to the first pitch every time, so he was like late to the plate all the time. He'd be like, "Oh man, I'm not ready." You know what? I'm a, I'm actually kind of happy to see that they're not that team that, you know, tries to sit on the first three pitches. You know, when you're the opposite pit, the opposite team's pitcher, and, and you know they're not going to be swinging at the first pitch, you can lay one in there because you know they're going to take it because that's just what they do. They've come out this year and they've their first ball swung more times than I can remember in the last four or five years, and it, to me, it's refreshing. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's something Cora has preached since day one. Is you know, I want these guys to do damage. First pitch, whenever, whenever they get a pitch to swing, like to to hit, go for it. And um, it's definitely something that's hurt them in the past. Like Mookie Betts last year, <laughs> the the Astros had the advanced scouting report on him where it was basically like, first two at bats, he is not going to swing at the first pitch. He just won't. So throw him a strike, and then the third at bat, he's going to try and ambush you, and then stay away from the plate. And that was basically what he was doing every time up there. Cora said he talked to him like this offseason was basically like, so Buki, like this is what you're doing, honey. He's like, yeah, how'd you know that? Because well, everybody knows it. Answer for it. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Well, ra- you know, kind of wrapping up the rest of the health uh, here, or the, the Red Sox infirmary with you, Chris. Uh, we we, we yep. obviously we're talking about all the pitchers, but let's uh, go to some of the you know the players in the field. You know, you've got Devers still on the DL, Kinsler. Uh, you know, these two guys uh, right now, a big part of the Red Sox infield. What's uh, the latest on them? Yeah, and Swihart too. They all have hamstring. Oh, and well, and Vasquez for that matter. Yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of catchers. So with the hamstring guys, Cora said he doesn't expect any of them to be out more than ten days. He thinks it's the minimum and seems to be playing it safe with. Yeah, I'm bummed about you know for Swihart. I mean, he had a great opportunity here. He's finally getting some playing time and he was taking advantage of it, hitting well, and then suddenly you know he he ends up with the bad hammy. Oh yeah, he was OPSing over 900 since Vasquez went down. So. I mean, you look at that and what they usually get offensively out of the catcher spot, and you're, you know, it's kind of eye-opening. Um, Vasquez is the one that's always out still. Um, he's still, like, he's not doing baseball stuff. I think he'll go to Fort Myers in a little bit. And then I'm not sure if it was around September 1st he might be back. Well, that almost sounds like they might just stall at this point till the rosters expand and then bring – bring Vasquez back, you know, then because then they don't have to make a decision about Swihart and, and the whole three-catcher thing again on the on the 25-man roster. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, uh, Dombrowski said that, like, before all these hamstring pulls, when they got healthy, the move was going to be to send a pitcher down. They've been carrying 13 pitchers and 12 hitters for most of the year. Mm-hmm. They were going to flip that to try and, you know, avoid uh, any sort of Swihart decision or anything like that again. Um, so I think that's the move when everyone gets healthy, but that's still uh, a ways out. Well, that, I'm sorry, what did you say about Devers really quick? And then I'm sorry, Howie, you can jump. What was the Devers update? 
So I think he can be activated on Wednesday, and all signs point to that happening. Oh, good. Okay. Go ahead. So, so then he'll get sent down. So then I think they're going to... Oh, wouldn't it be that guy Renda they just uh, called up to probably... Oh, yeah, that's, it could be... And they called him up because, what, uh, Sue Lin was hurt down while he was down in Pawtucket after they had just sent him down? Yeah, so Lin, yeah, he had some sort of rib injury and he was banged up. So, yeah, that's why they had to put Renda on the 40-man. Um, so, yeah, I'd imagine he's the one that gets sent down. Yeah, and he had his day, He had his 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> yeah, run. score to run. Score yeah. the winning run, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I was I was looking at uh, you know we were you know just kind of recapping that Red Sox Yankees series again. Uh, you know, it mentions here over the last ten years the Yankees have a record of four hundred and eighty three and two when they enter the ninth inning with a lead of three runs or more, and both of those losses came to the Red Sox. Uh, the other one uh, was uh, September of two thousand sixteen, and then the one last night uh, coming back against Chapman. Uh, also, the Red Sox, by the way, when they when they trail by three or more runs of the season, they're twelve and twenty-five. I know that sounds like a terrible record, but remember, Pretty it's good trailing down. by. Remember, the stat is when trailing by three or more runs. They actually with the twelve and twenty-five is the uh, that twelve wins are the most uh, wins and best record of any team in Major League Baseball this year. I mean, that's again another reason why they're you know currently forty-five games over five hundred. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I would have never thought when the season started it was going to be. This much of a runaway, the way they're playing, I just—it's crazy. It's been fun to watch. It's been enjoyable. I really hated when Shaughnessy come out with his—they're playing nobody. This is nothing. Don't get excited. Enjoy the ride. Have fun, because there's times when we don't have these type of rides, you know. And, and there's lousy teams every year, so you know. It's just, yep. But, you know, Chris, on that point, you know, how he brings up uh, Shaughnessy's article there, his column, what is wrong with the American League this year? Because it does feel like, you know, it's really the haves and the have-nots and, you know, the, the chasm between the two uh, is, is bigger than ever. I mean, you have teams like Baltimore and Kansas City and Detroit. Uh, they are just, you know, Texas, they're dreadful teams. I mean... because It's because there's no repercussion for tanking, and it works. Like, tanking has worked, and there's no repercussion. I did a Sunday call about this a few weeks ago. Like, so you look at the last two World Series winners. The Astros obviously extreme tanked. You know, the Cubs went to the cellar for two or three years. Like these, like these rebuilds, there, there's no deterrent for tanking. Like you have the CBT tax. They call it the competitive balance tax. You spend too much playing to win. What about these teams playing to lose? Like they are also affecting the competitive balance in a you know, completely negative way. Well, is there a, is there a salary floor? Yeah, I, yeah, thought, I thought there was, there was a requirement. They had to spend so much of their, uh, you know, their profit or whatever. There's just so many ways to weasel around it. and uh, Which I'm sure uh, Loria, the, the Marlins owner, is finding every way to, to do. Well, exactly. Like, you look at the Marlins and you're like, this is a team that's actively trying. Actually, Angelos, I would say now, too, seems to be kind of in the same boat and... Uh, they just traded off like a dozen of their best players. Uh, I know it doesn't say much their best players on a team that's only winning three out of every ten, but uh, that's yeah. <laughs> so, like, think about it. You spend uh, you spend too much money. You get taxed on that. You lose draft positions. There's none of that for teams that are actively trying to lose. So I don't know why. Why not slap if you finish if you finish under I don't know 65 wins two years in a row three years in a row, whatever it is, why not slap those teams with competitive balance penalties? 
you know, hit them if their payroll doesn't exceed X, Y, Z dollars based on, you know, what, like, what they well, make. It's crazy that these teams will still make so much money because of revenue sharing, too. It's like, why don't you take some of that money out of their pocket? Then maybe that opens their eyes to, like, this isn't the right way to go about it, you know? It's so interesting that we're talking about tanking in, in Major League Baseball because, like, I mean, compare it to the NBA where I, I feel there's a much more obvious benefit to tanking when you have a chance to get one of the two or three best players in the draft. You play for that lottery, and you hope that the ping-pong balls bounce your way. But in baseball, you know, yes, Houston got there, but they had to go through three or four years of hell to get to the point where they were good enough for a championship. It's definitely a longer road, it feels like, in baseball because, you know, obviously number one draft picks in baseball certainly don't pan out the way they do most of the time in the NBA. Or the NFL. Yeah, well, that too, right. No, absolutely. And, like, that that's why you have the haves and haves nots, though, because it's working. Like, ultimately, it takes some time. It's terrible. But these teams can still make money with their revenue sharing while they're terrible, even if people aren't coming to their games. And ultimately, like, you take enough shots at the dartboard, you're going to hit a few, and then you're going to be okay. I was like, I couldn't believe it the other night when I was watching, the, you know, the game in Baltimore. I mean, the stadium was empty, you know? It's, and it's, it's and sad. you think about it, you're like, if you're an Orioles fan, why would you go? Yeah, it's a beautiful park, though. I mean, it, it, and it's sad that they can't fill it. But even before they got this bad, they were having some trouble filling it. I mean, uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a sad state down there. Uh, listen, Chris, we'll, uh, we'll take this opportunity to, to let you go, but uh, we, we certainly hope you get that uh, hitting streak turned around in the next. Uh, it's a bum call. It's yeah. a bum call. Yeah. I was low and outside. Yeah, we, you got to get another chance to hit one off the monster. I know you'll have to wait till next year, though. Yeah, hey, it's all right. I'll, uh, I'll keep working on my swing and try and get him at Yankee Stadium. Should have told him you wanted a video replay on that. Actually, we should probably part with uh, a thought on the Celtics since you uh, covered quite a bit of them uh, down the stretch, uh, you know, after uh, the Red Sox uh, wrapped up uh, last year. And, you know, you end up going to a lot of uh, Celtics home games. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on them going into the upcoming uh, season, especially the way things ended uh, last year? Oh, I mean, I think with LeBron gone and them bringing back basically the same team, but healthier I, I think the east is there for the taking you know i i really just think they're probably going to cakewalk to that did you like, with Kawhi and toronto oh uh, did you like the smart deal or uh yeah, yeah yeah i mean i think that's solid i think he they're a completely different team when he's not out there i think he brings a level of tenacity that's kind of hard to quantify but if you look at them when he's playing and him or them when he's not playing it it the energy level is certainly different yeah, he does. He does all the things that that, that they don't have stats on, and, and and they showed that when he went out injured, that uh, they they just weren't the same team without him. And, and I have no problem giving them the, the money they gave him. I'm glad they did sign him because, like I said, he does all the dirty work. Yep, and I think that's a really reasonable deal. Yeah, yeah and I I think it's easier to quantify uh, Smart's value now. It's about twelve million a year, I guess. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like at least in that regard, it, it is easier. Well, uh, Chris, uh, again, thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to uh, uh, reading more of your work, of course, uh, at EagleTribune.com, uh, and of course we can uh, follow you uh, on Twitter at by Chris Mason, and and then maybe sneak in some more TV appearances too. You uh, you show up quite a bit on those interviews during the sports reports. Uh, you. <laughs> got that uh, microphone right up next to the players uh you know that's uh, good positioning yeah i was gonna say yeah. you're, you're quickly becoming a local uh, media celebrity here <laughs> hey you, you gotta get the quotes you gotta get them yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right well chris i'm glad we're finally able to do this hopefully we can do it again uh, soon maybe uh come october uh for uh, some playoffs for, for the world series yeah yeah hey that'd be awesome i always love catching up with you guys all right yeah, great talking to you chris all right thanks a lot chris
All right, I'll catch you guys soon. All right, good night. All right, so again, that was uh, Chris Mason from CNHI Sports Boston, a.k.a. Howie's nephew. Yes, yes. And a rising media star, I, I would say. Uh, we uh, certainly thank him for taking the time. As I said, we had to keep, I uh, kept coordinating days off and uh, trying to figure out when we could make this work. And actually, it was well-timed because we ended up getting him on to, you know, right after the series. Which I guess say, yeah. A great right series. Right after we sweep the Yankees, you couldn't have had a better time to come on. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, anyway, uh, as we kind of wind down here, I'll give you a chance, Howie. Uh, I know it's been a while since uh, we've talked any sports, so... Uh, you wanna you wanna go to the uh, the, the no, no. chairless position? Yeah, yeah that's I just gotta stand up. My knees bother me. No problem. No, <laughs> that's well, that's kind of uh, the way the studio B works here at the Belmont Media Center. It's nice because we can kind of uh, you know we can stand, you can sit, very versatile. Uh, a little different from our TV show. Yeah, so, I was a little uh, bummed to see that uh, Mitchell got res- uh, let go today. That Malcolm today. Mitchell. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. Let's yeah, uh, we're talking big... about training camp news. That was kind of yeah. I know a guy who went from being a, an underrated star of Super Bowl Fifty One. Yep, uh, the, the guy that no one remembers started the rally back. Yeah, you know exactly. He, and, he, made, uh, he made the catches and got them going there in that Super Bowl. And, yeah, uh, you know, and the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I don't, and especially you know, given the fact that you know they they've lost uh, you know Amendola and other guys have left, and then of course Edelman's Edelman going to out the first four games. You know, I just I'm kind of keeping my fingers crossed. Chris Hogan stays healthy the first four weeks because right now I I don't know. I mean, what, what did you think of the Eric Decker uh, signing there? I, mean, uh, I think that was as long you know. Again, they, every one of these guys, it all comes down to can they grasp the offense and are they going to be reliable. Decker, I, I think he will. He always seemed to be that kind of ball player that that was very cerebral and smart. Well, They've, also he played in the you know he played for McDaniel's drafted him uh, when he coached the uh, Broncos there for that brief time. Yeah, and, and they say that uh, Cordell Petersons looked phenomenal as a receiver. I mean, they, I mean, basically he was more of a, uh, you know a, a return guy, a, a special teams guy, and a res- fourth receiver. But yeah. I mean, they say he's he's been unbelievable in practice so you know maybe he's going to be the surprise receiver that you know we really didn't expect to have that's going to make an impact yeah i hope so uh you know they're right because they're going to need someone to step up i mean yeah they still got gronkowski they still you know have quite a few of the running backs coming back although you know first round pick uh, sony michelle uh kind of too bad knee drain yeah and i guess that's like a chronic thing with him and they said no no concerns but he's going to miss the whole preseason and for a rookie I don't necessarily think that's good. I think he wanted to get some reps in the preseason. I know we don't necessarily think the preseason means a whole lot, but I, I think for someone new coming it, into this I was going to say, offense, it does to guys that haven't played for the, to the team. It, yeah. it does even, it for the guys that have been back here. who maybe the offense isn't quite as complicated as it is for other positions. I, I think you you want him there. I mean, uh, Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's got to get used to it. He's got to get used to the calls, the audibles, the, the speed of the game. Yeah. When yeah. to block, yeah, you know, yeah. protect your quarterback. Uh, speaking yeah. of that, who's going to be the left tackle for Brady this year? Oh, it's going to be – it's going to be that guy they got from San Francisco. Oh, that Trent Brown? 6'8", six, 380. Six, well, I mean, he could just stand there and protect Brady. 6'8", yeah, 380. Yes, the size is great, but if you get a, a fast enough guy who can get around him. I but mean, they say he's quick. They say he's got quick feet. I hope so. I hope you're right. I, I definitely hope you're right about that. Uh, you know, need, if uh, not, they're going to have to have a lot of um, running backs doing some chipping on the way out. Mm. You yeah, know, but yeah, but I think he's the guy that's going to take over. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's another. That would be one of the early concerns I have. Certainly, uh, they need. Uh, they definitely need to, to someone there protecting. I mean, you know, Solder. I wouldn't have paid him that kind no, of money. No, I was gonna say yeah, I w- he was not worth the money that no. he paid him, and and they, they, for that kind of money, I would have let him go two and a half beat. You know, yeah. that's you know just way too much for the, for the team we have. The way the salaries are structured, that is way too much money to pay for a tackle. 
Yeah. Do you want to talk at all about these soap opera storylines that there's this major rift between Brady and Belichick? And, no, there's uh, not. Yeah. No, I, there's I, not. Yeah, I don't think there is either. I mean, t- I, I think it's blown. There might be a little something there, but I think it's also oh, being yeah. blown out of proportion. Yeah, a lot of it's blown out of proportion, you know, and you know what? You said it at the time, I think, you know, right after the season ended, you know, they've been together, you know, 18 Yeah, it's years. like a married couple. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have their, they're gonna have their arguments. I mean, they, let's face it. But I, I think I don't have the problem that he didn't report to all the uh, the non uh, practices yeah. he had to because you know what he, he is 41 he does need to rest he doesn't need to do it because he's been doing it for 18 plus years yeah. he doesn't need to learn that anymore you know I'm sorry it's just it's, it's a nothing it's a nothing story that just getting legs for no reason yeah no it's it's true uh you had mentioned to me, I know well, we were swapping texts there, you you got into the World Cup. Uh, I have to admit, I told you at the time when it started I wasn't into it, but then when I, I went down uh, about a month ago uh, down to D.C., and then I went to visit my friends in North Carolina, and uh, my friend's family was all into it, so I started watching like the quarterfinal and the, the semifinal games, and uh, I got into it at the end. I mean, the thing was I, I wanted team I wanted like a Team USA to be there to sort of pull me in, which they didn't, and that's why initially I wasn't into it, but I, I did get into the matches at the end, that Russia Croatia match going down to kicks. I mean, that was exciting. Uh, we were all kind of pulling for the Croatian team, and we were sorry. That they, sure. I mean, I was kind of sorry to see they didn't win the whole thing. A, a great underdog story there. But, uh, yeah, what was your uh, – and now you watched – I guess you watched almost all the matches start to finish. So, yeah. I mean, uh, what was uh, – I did enjoy it. I, I, I will tell you, though, I do, I'm not a fan of the penalty kick because you play 90 minutes, then you pe- play another 40 minutes – was it, it was or 30. Yeah. 30, yeah, yeah two 15s. All right, see, so And it's now, not sudden death, at least. You know, no, they play a full... The, now know. it comes down to, does the goalie guess right? Does the kicker guess mm-hmm. right? It, at that point, it's a, it's, a, it's a flip of a coin. It's a guessing game, you know, and I just... But I, I'm not a fan of that. I know, but I think part of it is... They should, just, if they move it back, move it back like they moved the uh, extra point back. Move back where they kicked from, then that'll be a little more challenging. That's a good point. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I mean, maybe that makes more sense than just have them kick from a further point. Because otherwise, I think the whole just keep playing until somebody scores. I mean, you know, you didn't have to put a sudden death implement in there or something. And then even then, the, the whole thing you're talking about with guessing, I mean, it still comes down to that. And, and then fatigue becomes a factor. And maybe a guy just kind of collapses because he's been playing, you know, he's going nonstop for three hours or whatever. And, you know, it's just... Uh, you know, I guess they feel this is the best well, way that, to try to solve I, it. I think I that's mean. why Chris Croatia was in the final, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. they what, they had played two the two games prior to that they had played overtime penalty kicks, mm. so they'd played almost another whole game uh, than anyone else. So you talk about fatigue setting in. Yeah, and you know what? You, you brought up another interesting point there, or at least something I just thought of. The, you know, this is what I didn't like. The two semifinal matches, I understand for TV purposes why they want to play them on separate days, but how fair is that? One team gets one less day of rest, and I think it was Croatia, Croatia that yeah. got less of it. The team that had played more. one more game yeah. ended up having to play early uh, play uh, had one less day to rest yeah and that makes no sense to me that seems hardly fair I mean I you know it's you know in football they played both conference championship games on the same day so both teams get equal rest going into the you know pretty much within three hours anyway I mean a whole day feels like it just you know especially when they already played a whole game more right well right which you wouldn't have you know they they couldn't have predicted that but still uh, yeah yeah, I mean uh, I mean do you think USA comes back I mean obviously now with you know eight years from now uh you know they're going to get to. Uh, well, they, you know, well, they get it. They home. get an automatic bid. So I don't right. <laughs> but the question, I guess, really becomes: Are they going to? Uh, you know, uh, Qatar is. I, 
God, I, I mean, I hope they're playing inside, like something that's domed or whatever, because, I mean, I can only imagine what the temperatures are going to no, be. No, they won't, because they have to play on grass. Oh, wait a minute. You know what I think I read about that? They're not playing in June like they do other World Cups. I think it's in, like, October or something, or yeah. November. That's what it is. They're playing in no. Yeah, the next World Cup's going to be like in November, December to try to keep the temperatures cooler. Yeah, because you're playing on the equator. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's going to be, I think the ratings for that are going to be bad because it's right around the holidays. I mean, nobody. No. Uh, it, it, well, just, maybe. It's, uh, it, I think they're going to be different, though. I think the nice thing about the World Cup is it usually happens, you know, in June, which is kind of a dead time on the sports calendar other than Major League Baseball. You know, once, you know, because it usually but, starts after but, the but, NBA. But, and, but. Only in the United well. States is it a problem. Anywhere okay, else right. in the world, they're going to be okay. watching the World Cup because they don't care about Major League Baseball. They I don't agree. care about the NFL. They I don't agree. care about uh, the, the hockey start and all the best. The, all they care. It's the most watched sport no. in the world. That is true. Take the United <laughs> States out of it. The rest of the world will be watching if it's Thanksgiving Day, Christmas right. morning, whatever. I, I should have probably been more specific and just said, I, I think, in the United States, and especially if the U.S. doesn't qualify. I mean, the ratings, I think they said this time, were pretty impressive given that USA wasn't there at all. And, uh, you know, yeah, if they don't make it to the next one, I just, I think given the timing of it, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, you do have, like, you have a lot of foreign-born people living in this country, so maybe they pick up, they help the ratings out. But it's going to be, this is going to be the first time they've played a World Cup at that time of year. So it just, I'll be curious to see, at least in this country. I know you said, the, you know, right, the rest of the world doesn't matter. Although, you know, I could argue a lot of, there's a lot of high religious holidays taking place in December. And I don't know if football takes priority over some of these high holidays for some of these countries. I don't you know. I guess but, we'll you know, find out. I guess we will find out. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, how about uh, maybe some quick thoughts on golf? I know you're a fan of watching the majors. There's one more coming up, uh, the PGA Championship this week. Probably the least exciting or desirable of the four majors, but I guess I was going to ask you, you probably watched the British Open or <laughs> the Open Championship. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, the uh, you know the fact that uh, Tiger Woods was there on the final day and uh, made that exciting? Is that going to give you any uh, incentive to maybe watch or kind of at least follow uh, the first couple of rounds of the PGA well, Championship? Well, wa- I'll watch it anyway because I usually like to watch the majors, although in the Masters and the and the uh, Open are my two favorites. Um, he makes it more interesting if he's there. It'll make it more interesting to watch it. Um, but I mean, it's still one of the four majors. I, you know, if you, if you like the game of golf, you know, you don't miss the four majors. You might miss, you know, a lot of the other ones, but you know, you, you'll 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 watch that here regardless. But they noted. Yeah, I think there was a notice that uh, the ratings did tick up a little bit for the for that of course, last one because Tiger. Of course was there. they do. Of course yeah. they do. I mean, people either love him or hate him. But the, if he's in, they watch to whether they want to see him win again or they'd like to see him lose. But it's still. You know, he does. He makes it more interesting. You know, when he's in, yeah. when he's playing on the weekend, there's more involvement by the fan base. Did you see enough of him, uh, the way he performed at, at the British Open, that you think he can maybe win another major? Yeah, yeah. somewhere down the road he can. I, I mean, mean I, I thought so. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's just got to put four days together. He just hasn't been able to do that. He'll put two days together. He'll put one and three together. He just hasn't been able to put four steady together like this weekend. I mean, he had, he had a couple of great rounds, and then he fell apart. You know, in, in the third round, you know, it just, and he didn't, wasn't a factor in the, in the fourth round. So, you know, it's just, he's either driving good, but he can't putt, or he's either putting great, but he can't hit the fairway, or, you know, but it's, he, he's, I think he's learned that he's not the Tiger of old. He can't just grip it and rip it like he used to. He can't talk like he used to. Again, we'll go back to the, the pitcher that has to learn how to throw junk mm. to survive because he can't throw his fastball anymore. Well, Woods can't out-drive and out-hit everybody anymore, so now he needs to learn how to play the course 
and I think he is. He just hasn't put it all together, but I think that that's coming. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and certainly, uh, you know, what do you think of just the fact that, you know, this is the last year that they're playing the PGA schedule. Ne- next year, there's going to be a, a massive shift in the whole uh, schedule, even of the majors. The PGA Championship, I guess, moves to May, and uh, the, the British Open will be the last of the, the four majors, and the, the season will pretty much be over by Labor Day. I guess they're going to move the playoffs up. Like, this, at this time next year, they're going to be starting the PGA playoffs, uh, which right now don't start to like, the end of the month. But they're, yeah. they're trying to do that to avoid, you know, going up against the uh, start of the NFL season, so it's... Uh, uh, football rules. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly does. Uh, uh, any other uh, sports thoughts on your mind uh, while we're here? Uh, yeah, no, I think we pretty up? much uh, covered it. I, I, I do agree. I think we did cover a lot, and uh, certainly uh, we will be uh, having a uh, Toddcast coming up uh, sometime probably around... Uh, well, I, I think I'm thinking like maybe right before the Patriots season starts, we'll do our annual football preview mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, on the uh, Toddcast. So that's coming up. Uh, but uh, yeah, no. Otherwise, uh, good. It's always good to see you. Yeah, certainly. Great to be here uh, as always. Uh, we want to uh, don't forget. Just a reminder: follow us on social media. Search Timeout for Sports Talk on Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at TOSTBMC. We give you links to the latest TOST Toddcast. We also update you on the TV schedule. Uh, we do have shows uh, coming up soon. So again, keep uh, follow us on social media for all of that uh, at this time of course want to thank one more time uh, chris mason from cnhi sports boston uh, aka or, my nephew yeah aka howie's nephew aka eagletribune.com if you want to read him <laughs> online and his uh, twitter handle is at by chris mason follow it uh, he's got a lot of good red Sox info on there and certainly the last couple months of the season are going to be uh, uh, quite a bit of fun uh, to follow uh, the rest of the way so until next time for howie mcclellan this is todd bloniars thank you for checking out the uh, tost toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Good night.